Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you very much for being with us today. Today, we're lucky to have on the show Mr. Dan DeWolf. Uh, Dan is a uh, renowned securities lawyer uh, in the greater uh, New York City area. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show. Wow, glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. So, Dan, uh, you and I, uh, we're, uh, we're both volunteer on the uh, Angel Capital Association's uh, Public Pol- Policy Advisory Board, and that's how we've gotten to know each other. And uh, you've done some really interesting and unique work in the securities law space when it comes to uh, startup companies. So we'd love to talk to you about that. Well, that's great. Uh, let, let me tell the, the audience a little bit about what I do. So I'm chair of the technology practice group of a law firm called Mince Levin, a national law firm. And I'm co-chair of the emerging companies practice group as well. And I'm also a law professor at NYU where I teach venture capital law. And I've had the great luck and, and um, great fun to be right in the middle of raising capital online since the, the mid-1990s. Um, since the beginning of Web 1.0. And um, it all started, in my opinion, when we launched the first online broker-dealer ever called Wit Capital, which was supposed to democratize IPOs and give the little person a chance to access IPOs. Because at that time, the average show could not get into an IPO. Um, so we ha- went through that run. That company went public became a unicorn before they used the word unicorn, went through the bubble, eventually sold it. Um, We fast forward now into a time where you run into the Jobs Act and people say, okay, we need to give people access to private companies. And so we actively worked on that uh, closely with the people who were drafting it. And eventually we helped many people to launch these portals, these these online platforms where you can raise capital online. So we do that. And now here we are, one more revolution, as I say, as we start the the digital currency um, run. And we're helping people to figure out how to do that. But how to do that in an SEC-compliant way? Because I think the SEC has tipped its hand that it, it plans to regulate this space, and that will happen soon. And so... If you can get ahead of that curve on that, I think everyone will be in a better spot. Yeah, so let's talk about that for a second. Um, I mean, what we've gotten out of the SEC so far on crypto tokens is we got a really nice piece of guidance from the DAO, uh, which was an investigative report from the SEC. And then we've also had some uh, subsequent um, actions taken by the SEC against uh, people who are engaging in certain types of offerings. And so, and so, or doing certain things in their offerings. I'm thinking in particular of the, the Munchie ICO. Um, so this is a, an area that I've, I've seen a lot of interest in. And, and I think people really have a hard time or are having a hard time sort of conceptualizing a coin, uh, a crypto token they could sell that would be compliant with the, with the, the U.S. securities laws. I mean, it seems to me not an easy, um, not an easy thing to construct, would you agree with that, Dan, or do you think there's lots of operating room here? I mean, obviously, CryptoKitties is something that's, you know, interesting. And if you're playing a game and you're buying a, effectively a blockchain be- beanie baby and trading it with friends and, and then putting it out to Sire and doing these such, such, sorts of things. I mean, a game seems like a pretty clear example of something that wouldn't be a security. But once you start talking about essentially having people fund the development of a device, so say you want to have, have the crowd fund the development of a new blockchain with a new token, which is going to be able to do certain elaborate and wonderful things, um, but it's not built yet. Um, I mean, you run into sticky securities law issues. 
Well, I agree, but I don't think it's that challenging. Uh, I think the okay. challenge is that people don't love regulation and, and they choose not to listen that it is a security. It's hard to make the case that most of the tokens are being sold are, are, are not some type of investment contract and do not include some type of speculative investment aspect because otherwise I can't explain why everyone's investing in it. So, and the SEC takes that point of view too. So in terms of regulation and how a lawyer would look at it or how a businessman would look at it, it's, it's no different. If it's a security, and, and I do believe it is, and I think most people who grew out of securities business believes it is, and I think most technologists, if they understand what they're really, what, what's happening here would, would tend to agree also at some point, is, is that it's a private placement. And it's a private placement, often using general solicitation, social media. So you fit within 506C, and the white paper should be like a private placement memorandum. The subscription agreement should be the same as a, as a subscription agreement for a 506C offering. And then you get into the sticky issue, Joe, of resales. If it's, quote, unquote, a restricted security, how do you, how do, you do that, right? How do you restrict it for a period of time? And do you start using tools like the new rule 4A7 as a way for resales to other credit investors? So I think there is a path forward, and I think it's going to be the path forward. And I think there's some really talented folks who are starting to do that. You'll see in the near future SEC-compliant coin offerings, and I think there'll be risks for those who don't follow that path. Well, let's just talk about the – the resale restriction for a second, because that's the big problem. I mean, sure, if you can, um, if you want to generally solicit a sale of a security to only accredited investors in the United States and you verify them, great. I mean, uh, but I mean, the whole point of buying these tokens is to be able to resell them pretty promptly. And um, why, <clears throat> Joe? Why? Because it's a security. Because <laughs> you're speculating. Uh, uh, sure. Okay. But I think. But I think. Right. Okay, but I isn't think- that the whole point? But Joe, isn't that the whole point of buying a share of any stock? Would be to resell it as soon as you could. Uh, yeah. And so you run into this company, you know, or this restriction, this inability to resell the tokens. Um, and it just really, I mean, from my point of view, like, um, it just feels like um, if you can make a utility token, if you can make such a thing that is not a security token, then you're in some sense a lot um, better off. It's just kind of a hard needle of thread, I think. Well, I, I don't really agree. I think it's actually fairly easy to say that you can't resell it except under 4A7. 4A7 requires some some uh, disclosure by the issuer, not that challenging to meet. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to be that difficult if people really think about it. I think the challenge is people want to make money real quick, and they, and, and, and it's obviously a sign of speculation that people don't even want the facts about the underlying company. They just say, okay – this is trading up. I want to sell. I get that. And sure. and if you want to buy Bitcoin that's not related to a company and you want to speculate and you want to speculate on currency, that's a cool thing to do. And then you're under the currency regulations. And, and remember, these regulations don't exist to harm people. They exist because they're in the public interest. We don't want people to get harmed by buying things they, they don't really get. And they might as well go to Las Vegas or Atlantic City. And... and and I'm not a big proponent of regulation, but we all have to understand that the regulation is not something that, you know, 
some bad person's putting on us or some nanny state that's putting on us. It's because there's a lot of issues that have evolved over, you know, the last 80 years since 1933 that say, okay, you know, a little regulation that makes the markets honest makes all of us stronger, all of us better, makes it easier to raise capital and doesn't allow a few bad apples to tarnish a whole marketplace. So look, I think it's great that people are making money and flipping it and changing it. I'm just saying that the SEC is on to this. They see it. They're not, you know, the fact that they have limitations on uh, resources to to bring, uh, you know, hundreds of, of uh, enforcement action doesn't mean that it isn't going to accelerate the enforcement action. So I just tell everyone, beware. And there is a path forward to do this in an SEC compliant way. And I'm predicting that a year from now, you'll see most of these being done in an SEC compliant way. Okay, well, that's a bold prediction. So Go there, ahead, Mike. There was a so a while back, the Filecoin I, ICO happened. I, I participated in that, uh, by the way, but they... Um, they they were very uh, they made a conscious effort to try to comply with the with the rules and so they they required only accredited investors they they did it in using this uh, vehicle they call a SAFT mm-hmm. which is a simple agreement for tokens uh, yep. purchase or something like that yep. um, I'm just curious to know what you, what your thoughts on that are and whether it look whether that is that the model that people will be using going forward or did they miss the mark I'm, I'm curious to know if, if you have any thoughts on you know what does a compliant offering it's, sort of look like that that's a great question. Um, and the idea of a simple agreement for tokens is an interesting idea, um, and and that may have legs. So I think that's one way to do it. So the idea there, though, Dan, if I'm correct, is um, you're saying when you sell this right to receive this future token, you're saying at that time, you're saying, hey, there's probably a security when we sell this right to receive this future token to you. But what's going to happen is we're ultimately going to deliver you a token, which is not a security that's going to have the utility to do something on a computer network. And so you're going to get a utility token that's freely tradable. And it's not a maybe yes, maybe no. It depends what that token. What is the reason for that token? Is it a share of revenues? A share of royalties? Is it why do people buy that token? What okay? What so is it? Do- what is it that's about the token? And that'll be the question of whether it's a security. But again, if that token is being invested in, in large part for speculative investment purposes, it's hard to make the case that it's not a security. Right. Okay. okay it, well, it just well, it just is, and and we we try and thread the needle that it's not. And people, I've seen all sorts of crazy legal analysis that says, oh, maybe it's not a security. But I think if you had six guys standing at a, a bar with a beer and they, you really discussed it, you'd probably say, yeah, I think we're doing it for investment purposes. I'm, I'm hoping that the value of the token goes up. And so therefore, it's some type of investment contract and it's a security. I got you. Well, okay. So, but, you know, in the old days, like um, in the old days, maybe not so old days, but I mean, it, say Mike like and last I had week. A, yeah, well, the old well, days go, last week. Well, let's go. Let's go back to the Kickstarter days. You know, in the old days, Mike and I okay. might announce. Mike and I might announce to the Kickstarter crowd or community, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna rebuild this old game. Remember that old game you played on that old console when you were a kid? Well, we're gonna recreate it for for the console today. Um, but we need you to help us pay for it. And if you chip into our Kickstarter campaign and you help us pay for it, uh, we'll ultimately give you a copy of the license. Maybe we'll have gradations of awards. Like, um, you know, who knows? Like one of these nostalgia campaigns. I remember they for a very large sum of contribution you could actually appear in the game or something like this but in any event i mean we were i think we i think we were all pretty comfortable securities lawyers saying hey if you're just gonna if someone's gonna fund the development of a game and you're gonna give them a software license to the game when it's done that is probably not a security 
Um, would you agree with that, Dan, or do you think that was those were out of yeah, bounds? Yeah, I think that was. I think that's what I would call vendor financing, as we used to call it in the old days. That someone who was going to be a purchaser prepaid for something, sure, um, and they were not buying it with the intent to resell that license. Okay, so to to you, um, right? To you, the key there is the intent not to resell. Because all we've done in many of these ICO offerings is basically we've done the same thing. Like Mike and I dream up an idea for a new blockchain and a new token with new capabilities. We can't afford to build the machine, so we get the crowd to build it, and we give them tokens, which enables them to use the machine after it's built. And so we're very close to the Kickstarter model, except that the tokens are usually freely transferable. Right, they're they're and, bought with an intent to resell. And they're bought with an investment intent. If you think if you think people are buying it without an investment intent, show me. Yeah, well, I know I buy uh, I buy these tokens, Mike. I think you buy some tokens too, and and uh, yeah. So I mean, I think generally speaking, I I I enjoy sort of the the uh, the token market because um, it's just sort of interesting. Um, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things going on there, and. It, it's fun to listen to the people who are trying to build things, and it's fun to be involved in the community. But um, it's great. It's great stuff, and it's great that it's that it's accelerating the development of technology. You know, that's that's just great stuff. So yeah, I think I think there's value here. I I just think that people are kidding themselves that they think that it's going to be forever not viewed as a security, or there's not going to be regulation. I just think sure. I just think that's that's you know wishful thinking, and and you know wishing doesn't make it so. Right. So I'm just saying there are people out there who are talking to Washington, talking to the SEC, figuring out how to do this in an SEC compliant manner. These conversations are going on. I'm very well aware of it. So I'm just letting your audience know these conversations are going on and this world's going to change, not for a, a Wild West unregulated space. And you may think that's awful, right, that you can't just buy and sell and Many people think that's just terrible and people should just be able to buy and sell shares willy nilly. But we've learned over time um, that that doesn't work really well either, that people get hurt. Companies get hurt. We have bubbles. We have systemic risks with that. So it, it's kind of not really understanding the full you know, ecosystem of, of finance. If we think we're just going to have unregulated markets, it's just not going to run or, or survive the test of time. So so I think we're all better off if we work together collaboratively to work out sort of customary industry standards of what is okay for market regulation so that we can finance these technology companies that are helping all of us. Sure. Okay. So on that point, um, Dan, I think, you know, the audience would probably appreciate knowing that you, um, that you went to the SEC, you and your colleagues uh, went to the SEC and you were able to get a very interesting um, SEC no action letter um, I forgot what division you got that from. Was that from the division of trading and markets, or which which division was that again? No, corporate fi- corporate fin. Oh, co- co- corporate, corporate fin. finance. Okay, so, so this is a little bit of inside baseball to the audience members. Um, so within the SEC, there are many different groups, um, and so um, your no action letter, uh, Dan, was called Citizen VC. And why you why you? I mean, this is really interesting. I think people would love to hear about how you how you managed to. Um, go and get this this assurance for your for your client when when they wanted to set up this online portal. Right. So here we are in 2013 looking at people creating these portals as a way to give people access to invest in in late stage private companies and people are setting up special purpose vehicles and investing in those which in turn invest in these very cool and hot technology companies that are no longer going public so quickly. Speaking about 
a process that I was hoped to democratize the IPO way back when in, in the late 1990s through WIC Capital, we find out that 10 years later, there aren't any IPOs, not many, right? It's not a robust IPO market, so you can't get into these late stage companies. It's kind of rigged for the institution. So how are we going to unrig it? We're going to get set up portals and we're going to let, unfortunately, we can only let high net worth people into it to do it legally, unfortunately. Um, and so I, I, my client's talking to me and says, okay, so it seems to me that we have to set this up and we have to do it under the new 506C, which requires general solicitation in order to do a portal and have people invest in these late stage companies. I say, you know, I don't think that is the way it has to be because if you're doing a private placement of any company offline, you talk with people. You say, I have an idea. I have a company. I want you to fund it. I want you to learn about it. You show them a deck. All of a sudden, you create a relationship, and then you allow them to invest in your company. I called up the SEC. I said, it doesn't make sense that you can do offline, show people deals, and create a, a relationship, and then let them invest, but you can't do that online. And by the way, everyone talks online. And by the way, most people, most companies I know are paperless now. They're not going to, they won't do anything offline. So basically, you're allowing things from the 20th century to occur, but not under the 21st century. And it doesn't make any sense to me. So let me say something to you, Mr. General Counsel, at, 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 in this division of the SEC. What if I said to you that we could create a pre existing relationship online and then we'd be free to offer it like a typical private placement. And that started the discussion. And then we did a little research. We showed them how it would work. And this is how it actually works with the regulators because they actually want to be relevant, but you need to work with them and you need to show them that we're actually here to help you and we want to guide the industry, all of us who are in this industry. And we want it to, to work for all stakeholders. And they worked with us and they said, okay, we want this to be a policy statement, not just a particular thing about your particular company. We worked with them for nine months. And then eventually we worked out language that we all agreed to, which really what it says is you can do a private placement on a portal without going through the extra requirements of a 506C, which is the independent verification, if you actually have a relationship with the person who goes onto your site. And we set up certain guidelines and and best practices of how you create a relationship. It's actually really, really interesting um, from inside baseball for those of us who practice it. And it actually, I think, has changed the way people do this. And, and in large part, I wanted to do it because as, as my old friend Joe Bartlett used to say, there was a crime wave going on. Nobody was complying with the rules there were. And so we needed to codify a way to do it in a way that was compliant, that made it safe for everyone. And so that's what Citizen VC was all about. And I think a lot of, a lot of portals are following it. Um, doesn't mean a lot of portals shouldn't do 506C because they don't have sort of the, the guidelines in place to create a pre-existing relationship before they offer a deal to people. But for those who want to have a long-term relationship with their customers and want to create a sort of a club of investor pools, Citizen VC is a wonderful model. Yeah. So, 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 Mike, I don't know if you've had a chance to read that SEC ruling or not, but basically, yeah, it's a really nice 
It's a really nice uh, set of guidance that Dan was able to get out of the SEC. So, Dan, are you suggesting that there are people right now trying to get similar pieces of uh, written guidance out of Corp Fin regarding Bitcoin, the tokens? I, I think that will happen over the over the next year. And so if we um, – and Mike, I don't mean to monopolize the conversation here, so please chime in. But, but Dan, if, if we go to a trading uh, – if we go to a security token model um, – you're going to have to restrict, you know, people are going to have to buy the token, they're going to have to hold the token, and they're going to have to make an investment representation that they intend to hold the token, you know, potentially indefinitely. They're holding it for investment purposes, not for distribution or resale. And so I just think uh, when people, when buyers of these tokens learn that, hey, they're going to have to hold this, because the way I think about the best sort of tokens, Dan, is like, let's look at like Amazon Web Services, okay, right now, or Azure, or Microsoft Azure, let's, when people pay for these services, but what, if, what suppose you had, suppose you had, um, you would help fund one of these, the development of one of these services, and exchange got usage rights on the, on the platform, um, I mean, why, could, why couldn't you, if you prepaid for some AWS services, why couldn't you resell the, the rights to use those AWS services, why, why is that a problematic area, why does that change the whole thing? Uh, as I said, if you weren't buying it for an investment purposes, it wouldn't. But I, I submit that you are. <laughs> okay, Mike, what do you what do you think? I feel like I'm having an argument. Yeah, with Dan. I, you know, no, I, I well, I don't mind letting you run with this because you know you guys are both securities law experts, and I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. You know, this is a bit of an outside area for me, so you know, when it comes to the actual regulations, I'm I'm a bit um you know I'm a newbie on this stuff, so uh, so I'd love to hear. You know what you think? I, I have seen. You know, it looks like that that there in the last couple of days, the um, various cryptocurrencies have taken a big hit. You know, we don't always publish these right as we record them, but in the last couple of days, both Bitcoin and Ethereum are both down. You know, twenty or thirty percent. So, so there's people crying on the forums that they lost all their money. You know, because they invested in, in that in that gap. And uh, and and there's another. There's a thing called BitConnect, which is like a Ponzi scheme type of a thing that that just shut down. So so it just so happens in the last couple of days, there's a lot of people crying on the internet about how they're losing their life savings. Um, so you know this stuff is relevant to, to people. It's yeah. probably good that there's some protections. Yeah, and and look I, again, I don't want to shut down a party. I'm I'm all for this. I'm just wanted to be a happy party. Um, and and all I'm saying is that. Um, I don't want people to get hurt either because they're investing in things they don't understand or what I'm really focusing on the people who are promoting this right now, that they should be cognizant and aware that regulators are looking at this, that, you know, the SEC Commissioner Clayton has said he hasn't seen one that doesn't fit within the definition of security. So that tells you that you need to tread carefully. Um, because you don't you don't want to be the guy who gets the speeding ticket, right? There's lots of people who speed up and down the highway going 70, 80 miles per hour, but you don't want to get the ticket and you don't want to lose your license. So that's that's sort of what I'm trying to say here is that I think this world's about the change. Um, and 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 that may be make some people happy, may make some people unhappy, but I'm predicting that it is changing, okay? And that people should be aware of it, just like you know, the offering of securities changed in terms of the Jobs Act, in terms of the portals, in terms of Citizen VC. It changed way back in the 1990s when we had we democratized the IPO and let the little guy get into the IPO. It changed when the when they changed to decimal uh, decimals on public stocks. It will always evolve. OK. Um, and sometimes technology jumps ahead of the regulators. And that clearly has happened here. And 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 it will always happen. OK. And there's a there's a window when you have that you know time when you're ahead of the regulators, but then someone gets the speeding ticket. And so I'm just saying, 
Joe, so that, that's more yeah. people are going to get speeding tickets. And the fact that everyone's speeding doesn't mean that the regulators no, I, aren't going to come down on you. No, I and I appreciate Joe Bartlett's comment, which I always thought was really funny, which is <laughs> there's a mass crime wave and no one even is a crime wave. There's a crime wave. Exactly. Anyway, so, so one problem, I, I mean, one thing I this 4A7, you know, 4A7, Mike, is a resale of, of private securities exemption that Congress created a couple of years ago. But in any event, it, it's nifty, except you can only resell to accredited investors and you can't generally solicit. And so if you can't generally solicit, how are you going to take your token and go on a website where you might be able to exchange it with some other random person in the world? It doesn't seem like 4A7 is going to work when you're going to sell it over the Internet. Unless, unless Dan, I guess you're going to have to go through Citizen VC. That's how uh-huh. you're going to do it. See, now now you have the connection. You're going to have <laughs> to go through portals like Citizen VC. Not a bad idea, right? Well, we just – I just I, – I, yes, I, I get this point. But I think it's just one of these areas where, um, gosh, there's a lot of hopes and dreams tied up in some sort of view that this can be done other than as a security. Yeah, well, you know, as I said, wishing doesn't make it so. And, and I also say that things that – can't go on forever don't yeah and so i think you know um for the audience you know uh you know dan i think has given us a breath of um if, of fresh air in a sense i mean i don't you know i don't hear a lot of securities lawyers frankly talk with maybe as much certainty as you do on this topic <laughs> i hear a lot of people you know why <laughs> it's not in their business interests right 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 yeah, but yeah, I guess. But there's this, this, there's this philosophical, you know, thing that's going on in people's minds too. Where, um, I mean, you can. And by the way, I think one thing that um, the U.S. might be, you know, hurting itself in doing is, I mean, these are uh, creative and effective ways to fund the development of technologies. And if we can't really do them in the U.S., except in this really, you know, you know poorly constructed contraption, then other countries, those technologies be developed elsewhere and we might miss out on some economic benefit of that. Well, I, I don't, I don't agree with that, but you know, China has restricted these things and South Korea has restricted. Well, I don't think know, we should, I don't think the, the United States should follow the economic policies of China in, I or mean, South Korea, but no, uh, but my point is, is that look, if you're worried about if you're worried about development of technology, then we should be talking about broader topics about immigration and and a lack of of coherent economic policy to develop technology coming from Washington. And if that's the really the issue of developing technology, you, you can't just go to the corner of digital currency. It's a much broader, broader discussion. Why don't we have a coherent policy to promote Green energy. Why, you know, why don't we have uh, everyone who graduates college who, who's from a uh, who graduates a university who's an immigrant immediately given a visa? There, there are many ways if you want to, you know, really develop uh, the growth of technology in the U.S. and it and it ain't happening from the people in Washington. That's clear. Yeah, yeah, it's um. So let's not get lost in the weeds yeah. and you think that's the problem yeah. is, the, is, is the digital currency. That's not the problem, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So and we big, can talk the, about Washington forever. That's actually yeah. a fun topic. Yeah. No, it is. We've talked about that before. We've talked a lot about these issues before. And it is really unfortunate that we don't have more sensible economic policy as a whole when it comes to, um, y- you know, s- you know, super smart people are told they have to go home because you know they 
can't stay here to work, which is insane. But um, it's crazy. It's crazy. So in, in, how in did we ever the... get great technology to begin with? Risk yeah, takers. It was, it was the immigrants. We're all immigrants. We're all immigrants. We're all immigrants. immigrants. Oh, by the way, it was the immigrants who made so the country great. Is the SEC like one of the one of the areas? Because you know, I'm hearing you say these regulations are coming. The SEC takes this stuff seriously. Is the SEC? You know, I'm an outsider when it comes to the security stuff. With this administration, it seems like a lot of the high level government agencies that are supposed to be enforcing all kinds of rules to, to and regulations on business have been kind of dismantled. Is the SEC still like firing on all cylinders? Like, uh, is it being dismantled in the way that the the um, like the SEC has been and I mean, what, what's your take on that? Does this administration care about this stuff? Does that matter? Are the people at the S, uh, at the SEC, like um, you know, able to, to function fully without support from the from the administration, or, or do great, they have it? It's a great question. It's a great question. I have not seen it being dismantled. There's a lot of people who are career SEC people. The the leadership seems good. Um, so I I have not seen that happen and. And since since we're not talking about real estate and we're not talking about oil and gas drilling, I'm not sure the administration is is focused on the SEC. Pay attention, yeah, and and they've yeah. got people in there that that are uh, capable of running without that without that specific leadership. Like that, that they as long as they're not getting the the wrong kind of attention, they're able to keep doing their jobs. That's uh, right. Sounds like that's right. Yeah. I haven't seen so, anyone take you know hammer away or or try and uh, cut the budget in, in a way that would change their role. I don't see it being increased. Let's put it that way, but. But I don't see it changing in terms of, of deregulation for securities offerings. Yeah, so so I was watching Vice Vice News last night, and there was a little segment on former EPA employees, and uh, and they were all sitting around a campfire talking about you know tra- what's transpired at the EPA since since they left, and you know you can imagine what that conversation was like. But I haven't seen a similar episode of Vice with former SEC right. lawyers doing the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> Although, you know, exactly. if there was, I can tell you if there was a bunch of former SEC lawyers uh, moping about how the SEC made it made it not a security because, to, to sell a resaleable token to use the technology. I, I imagine I imagine many people in the world would be happy to hear that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know, Dan. So, OK, so I we Mike and I super appreciate having having you on the show. And I think this is going to be a really helpful um, episode for people to listen to who want to try to understand um, – you know, a, a solid securities lawyer's opinions about this, these, these matters. Um, so to remind everyone, Mike, do you have any follow up or final questions before we go? Or No, no, I think this was great. I think it's certainly good to have, um, you know, there, there's a, I think you're right that, that a lot of the people that are weighing in on this are, are giving the answers that they'd like to hear. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to look at something that has a little bit of gray area in it and say, okay, well, what if we look at it this way to try to, to try to make whatever behavior it is that you want to have happen, you know, continue because a lot of people are making money at this, but, uh, I think it's good to hear, uh, it, it seems very practical to think that, uh, the regulations are coming. It's just a matter of time. You should prep yourself for it. You should be ready. That, that you should be ready. Look, I, I've been, I've been. I've been practicing since 1982. I've been involved in online capital raising since the beginning of Web 1.0, and this is just another permutation of it. And and this will evolve, but it, it will it will be regulated. Um, it will happen. People should be careful, and and they shouldn't lose their mind if it is. It's actually uh, manageable, and it can, we can set up a construct that will actually make it l- less volatile. Um, which is ne- never a good situation. That harms everyone, frankly. It'll be less uh, pumping and dumping. That's not a good situation. 
uh, except for the people, the promoters, right? So if we're really about building um, companies for the long haul and technology and, and being a, a, you know, uh, an honest marketplace, there will be some regulation and it will be for everyone's benefit. And it's better that people get ahead of the curve and understand it and learn it and, rather than crying in their soup and saying, oh, my God, I could have made so much money if I just done it like last week. Um, if you build a great company, you'll make lots of money. Uh, n- never a problem. All right. All right. Well, that's, that was a good talk, Dan. I super appreciate you having the show. For pe- uh, people who are, who, uh, who are looking for Dan, you can find him on LinkedIn, uh, Daniel DeWolf, D-E-W-O-L-F, and a great securities lawyer. And you office in New York City, right, Dan? Yeah. Uh, Mintz Levin is a national firm. We have offices on the East Coast, on the West Coast. Uh, but I am based in New York City, but I travel, you know, the country. I have work with companies in California and, and in New England. And um, we're at mints.com and you can find me there, uh, M-I-N-T-Z.com. And delighted to talk to anyone and chat with them and, and talk about it and, you know, see if, see if we can help you think through the issues. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Dan. This has been great. And um, thanks, everyone else, for listening. We'll see you all next week.